Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. everybody welcome this is the portland real estate podcast i want to welcome you guys back for another friday episode we're only 11 minutes behind schedule today so we're doing pretty good all things considered uh we've got a fantastic guest today a great show so i want to thank you guys for joining me for that but more importantly first i'd like to welcome my co-hosts what's going on steve what's going on joe hey good to be back everyone good to be back we've got a repeat guest with us too we're excited about that we do. Um, maybe, well, I'll kick it over to Joe. Joe, why don't you give a read of who we've got, and then we'll go into a, a less formal uh, introduction. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think sometimes it is a great uh, frame of reference as to who we have on and, and the purposes of why. And we have the fabulous John Lamont here with us today. And the reason why is uh, he's running for mayor, and we all uh, live or work routinely in Lake Oswego, and this is going to affect everything we do on a daily basis. And I just, uh, I'll kick it back to you, but I wanted to give a quick blurb of uh, the first two paragraphs on John's website, which is John Lamont for mayor. And it says, why I am running for mayor. I am passionate about Lake Oswego and want to continue our focus on good government and quality services. I bring city planning and business expertise, leadership expertise, and drive to the city council and want to continue to be a problem solver, interested in moving the ball forward and getting things done. As mayor, I will lead in a strategic manner with vision and vigor and with a place at our community table for all citizens, civic leaders, and business owners. So that's the why. Thanks for, thanks for being here, John. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, John. Really, really great to have you back. You were on our show in December. At the time, you were a city council member. You were not, we did not know you were going to be running for mayor. We, in fact, one of our listeners um, who, who knows you um, pointed that out to us, and it was really exciting for us because you are just so refreshing. And, and shortly thereafter, in fact, John, and by the way, this feels like a lifetime ago because this was all pre-COVID, and we right. were joking before. We shortly thereafter went to lunch with you um, at Five Spice and really got to know you and just your, your balanced, common sense, middle of the road approach to everything. Um, and man, it was just exciting to, to see that kind of leadership in our state. 
Um, and by state, I mean Oregon. <laughs> um, not, not our frame of mind. Um, but, I, but I think you could also say that as well. Um, and so, you know, John, we, we, we're here because we've seen, and, I, and we're going to go over some of the, the proposals and agendas of some other people in Lake Oswego who sure feel to me like they're pushing Lake Oswego towards Portland. Um, I have a screenshot because I live in Lake Oswego, just like Tucker. And, um, and of course, we all work in Lake Oswego. Um, and uh, like many of our listeners and, and everybody that isn't, doesn't live in Lake Oswego, they do business here or they sure, they sure try to and hope to. I have a screenshot today from, and I've been getting a lot of Facebook, you know, uh, political advertising about the mayoral race. And one of the other candidates, his name is Joe Buck, he said, um, one of his things that was in my feed today was, I will focus planning so our seniors can retire here safely and securely. Hey, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, great. And I will protect a future for our youth by making LO a leader in sustainability. And that just, you think about the, the agendas that have been pushed so hard in, in Portland and to, to envision Lake Oswego fast-tracking around them in some, some directions that, and, and what that would affect real estate and everything else to the homelessness and beyond. So it really is important for our industry to have good leadership. We had a podcast with Ezra from uh, the, the Home Builders Association. I'm not sure. John, did you get to meet with Ezra since that podcast? Yes. Good, good. He's a good guy. And we, we told him great things about you. And I'm, and I'm sure he saw him firsthand in, in your meeting. And so it's just so important for our listeners to understand. Um, and we'll go into it a little further. But thank you for coming on, John. Thank you. Why don't we tee this up? Before we get into topics, why don't I hand over to you, John? Why don't you tell us and the listeners kind of um, how this process began for you and ultimately why you want to be mayor um, of this great town uh, here in Lake Oswego? Great. Well, I, uh, I've been involved in leadership really heavily since really college. And uh, the idea was when I was asked to be on a board or elected to be president of a board was to make the organization, the institution better and be more strategic and, and improve the quality of what that institution was doing. So I've been doing that throughout my career, including uh, heavily involved in the American Planning Association, Urban Land Institute, uh, the Metropolitan Planning Council in Chicago, which is not like our metro, it's not elected. Uh, and when we moved here eight years ago, I got married later in life, which was a life changer. Uh, we moved to Lake Oswego and I said, one of the first things I wanna do as a goal is to give back to my community directly, because I was often brought on by a community, a, a citizens group, a neighborhood group, or a city to represent them. So the planning commission had an opening. I was appointed uh, by the city council, and then I was elected by the commission to be the chair. And we got into all kinds of issues, and they started to really come to a point where I wanted to run for city council after I served as chair. And that was in 2016. And so in 2016, uh, we had the election. I got the most votes. Uh, I'm a middle-of-the-road candidate. I'm an independent, unaffiliated. And as I say, I really don't want to or need to have these political parties and things getting into any of our issues. It's more about what do we need to do to make Lake Oswego better. Uh, as I make a funny that, you know, the potholes do not have political parties. We just need to get them fixed. Uh, that's the way I look at everything. It's just what is best for the city, not for a party or some other uh, political agenda. 
and I've been staying with that. I, I, I'm telling people I'm on the middle road and I'm taking the high road. Some of my opponents have been taking some shots and nasty stuff down on the low road, but we're moving forward. And it's really for and all about Lake Oswego. So when it tank time, my, my term is up in December, I'll have four years in. And uh, when it came time for the next term, I said, I wanna go the next step and, and run for mayor. The mayor is the chief ambassador, the chief strategist, the chief facilitator, the person to pull people together and get the word out and move things forward. And I've been doing that my whole career as a planner, as well as in leadership groups. So I, I really feel I'm ready to go and I've got the most experience. Yeah, that's awesome. fantastic. Um, Steve, any follow-up questions before we get into anything? Tell us, I mean, broadly, because broadly, talk a little bit about your agenda for the city in general, and then we'll, we'll jump over to the real estate focus side of that. Okay. Well, right now we have what I call good government. We have a city manager form of government. It's run professionally. The city council is the, the, the board of directors of the company, so to speak, and the mayor is the CEO. I mean, the, uh, uh, the chair of that board, the manager is the CEO. And so we run a good government. We have high quality services, as those of you that live or work in the city know. And we need to continue that. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to bring in a lot of outside stuff, whether it's sloganeering, slandering, demonizing, or name calling. It's let's keep this thing going forward. But we can be more strategic. And those of you and others that know of me, they know I want to get things done and I do get things done. And I will speak up and speak out when we have an issue that needs attention or also opportunities. That's one of the things in planning that I've dealt with my whole career and learned is there's opportunities out there that people don't see or they don't uh, take advantage of. Opportunities to grow, opportunities for grants, opportunities to help people. So uh, it'll be a very proactive administration, but it's focused on what we need to do to continue to be good government. I think also in the last year, we have really upped our game on getting projects done because I'm not a city planner that likes plans to sit on the shelf. I like to get them done. And knowing there's only so much money available at a certain time, a lot of things have been sitting. Like if you think of the tennis center, we have a little tennis center that needed to be renovated years ago. We've had a plan on the shelf since 2003, 2003, and we're now just getting it going. So the past year, we pushed out the tennis center renovation. We're now designing the golf course renovation. We're now designing the new uh, recreation and aquatics facility, which is long overdue for a city of 40,000 named Lake Oswego. We've got Woodmont Park almost done, Iron Mountain Park almost done, Boone's uh, Ferry Road in the middle of their reconstruction. The North Anchor, the private project is underway and we're working closely with the developer. So I'm all about let's get things done that is reasonable and practical within, within the budgets. So that's what gets me going, the passion for the city and the passion for leadership. And I told someone the other day, as a planner, one of our tools is consensus building. Get all the parties together from A to Z, warring factions, anti this and pro that, and come to consensus on how to grow or develop in the right way, in a planned way, in a positive way. But when I became a city councilor, I also, not only consensus building, but I also was there to speak up and speak out. Because we're not elected to sit around the table and hold hands and be uh, singing kumbaya and not getting anything done. So I will speak up and speak out, not in a nasty way, but on issues of concern and these opportunities. So I'm ready to go the next step. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you an opportunity that has changed since the last time we had you on this show, John, um, and is the challenges occurring to Portland. Now, in my mind, they're doing, they're doing a couple different things. First of all, I'm seeing a lot of people just throw up their hands and leave the state. But beyond that, there's other people who have their hearts here and that's not an option or, or not something they're going to do. 
And they are either moving out of Portland, which is an opportunity for a city like, like us, we go to be a leader in, hey, don't leave the metro area. We can take care of you. And, and by leader, I don't think that means that, hey, just come to Lake Oswego. Uh, you're, you seem to like a guy that could partner with mayors of Happy Valley and Beaverton and Tigard and go, look, they're going to leave this metro area if we don't step up and have common sense reign in the suburbs, okay? Um, but even beyond that, I think there's also a huge opportunity, and this is a tremendous benefit to Lake Oswego, and I think Lake Oswego is the natural leader on this one, for people aren't going out downtown like they were, downtown Portland like they were. There's a, va there's a hole in a vacancy being created that Lake Oswego is a natural fit to fill. All of a sudden, Lake Oswego could be the hub of entertainment, eating out, the, the great restaurants, the great downtown. We're seeing a lot of improvements occur at the, at the intersection of Cruise Way and Boone's Ferry Road, the, the North Boone's Ferry Road project. So having a leader like you who, who embraces that and sees the value that, that and the money that that can bring to our community, and again, be a leader for other, other suburbs. Because if they don't stay in the metro area and we don't provide that, that uh, environment, either, either I, in my opinion, they're either going to leave the state entirely or they're going to maybe go way down to the rurals, maybe go down to the Dallas's or the Lebanon's or Sweet Homes of Oregon because they just want to get where there's common sense that's reigning. And, I, and some of the other candidates that are running from Lake Oswego, I feel are moving towards the Portland mentality is what I see. I think we, we do need to think collectively because Portland's uh, hurting and needs, needs stability and our other suburbs need to be reinforced together as, as good communities. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this last time and when you see the business community trying to pull out of Portland because of what's going on and that was even before the, you know, the, the, the situations recently, the uh, tourists making second guesses on whether they should go down there. And many of our suburbanites that used to go down all the time for dinner or lunch are not going. And luckily Lake Oswego has a lot of restaurants. We have more restaurants, I think, than most suburbs of 40,000. Uh, I have often been in cities where we're gonna do a downtown plan or a commercial corridor plan and the mayor's managers and planners are begging me to bring a restaurant in. I go, well, we're gonna do the plan. Hopefully we'll highlight all the positives and restaurants will come. But Lake Oswego has like 28 restaurants, of which like 12 of them are in, a, in our downtown, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's already happening. Even before all the, 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 the COVID situation and the riots, it, it, it's been a movement to Lake Oswego. We just have to be careful that it's managed. But I also think we really, you know, collectively as leaders and professionals really need to try and figure out how to support Portland because it is the heart of the region. Mm -hmm. And any big area that I've worked in, the urban core is the key. Um, but yeah, and even, even with the office market, I'm the chair of the Economic Development Commission for Clackamas County right now. And we had uh, some Cushman Wakefield guys in and they talked about surveys of what's happening in the office market. And they said that, uh, you know, the office market will be down over time, not as much as some of the fear mongering was. And that uh, the millennials do want to go back to the office world because they want to be in teamwork and, and, and camaraderie and, and learn from their mentors and uh, that cities are losing office space to the suburbs. And so while we were a little concerned about what would happen with the Cruise Corporate Park and other office buildings, there may be a movement to get into a more stable environment with still having restaurants and things to, to go to. But I think you're hitting it on for me. Leadership is job one. You can have 
fantastic plans, but if you don't have the leadership, we, we, we've got to have that everywhere. And it gets just to what you said, Steve, practical, middle of the road, get things done. The extremes don't work. Mm -mm. And that's what we're all about here in Lagos Real. On either side. Uh, on either, either side. side. Yeah, far right, far left. And when people spend more time on that and not on making the city work, then it, it, we're, we're losing progress there. I almost feel like there's an opportunity for the suburbs to show Portland how to do it. I think so. And even, even maybe to do some more work on Metro, because I'm not sure there's a good, strong relationship for, for our suburban ring in Metro and, uh, and things with the urban growth boundary and whatnot. So we've got work to do. And, and uh, uh, Lake Oswego, I know there's been some, you know, perceptions of us, but there's a lot of really good people here and good, strong business and, and civic leaders here that we can help make the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is Lake Oswego, I mean, you've seen it, John. Steve, you've seen it too, but you know, over the last 10 years, I mean, it's grown up a lot. Um, I remember when I was in high school, way long ago now, I'm getting a little older, Steve, but uh, there was like a Taco Bell and the uh, Tillamook ice creamery, and that was it for restaurants in all of Lake Oswego, right? And now you have all these new developments and all these new restaurants, and you're right, people are foregoing going downtown, right, mm -hmm. to going out you know, downtown Lake Oswego. And I mean, it's been a weird year with Corona and all that, but you know, ideally uh, minus that uh, aspect, you know, you and I, if we were going to go out and have drinks and hang out, we'd just assume go to Bamboo Sushi or something like that. Right. Um, in downtown Lake Oswego versus going all the way down to 23rd or something along those lines. So it has grown up a lot, which is why I think it's so important as we continue forward because there's a lot of projects going on right now, Don. The city's going to continue to grow. I mean, Iron Mountain Park's right down the street here from my house. It looks amazing. Um, you know, we've got the whole Boone's Ferry project, which is where my office is. And, you know, I drive through every day. I mean, th there's so many things that are happening in Lake Oswego that it's it's going to feel like a, a real good-sized city here very soon once those are done. And, and that's why I think the leadership we need to kind of take us to that next level is so important. And, and I think uh, the emphasis is where, where you're going is on planned growth, not just let it rip. And we don't have that many development opportunities, but what we do, we want to make sure they're done right and with a plan and not just let them go. And when you feel, you know, sadness for what Portland's going through, you know, every city's got to be diligent and, and vigilant in what they're doing with their development. Some cities struggle to get any, and we're luckily getting, you know, interest and in, in development going. The North Anchor is still moving forward during this whole COVID crisis, and uh, they're very committed. Their uh, UDP is very committed to it. We're gonna have a new hotel there with two residential buildings, hopefully with a mix of pricing there. And uh, yeah, we just gotta keep moving the ball forward. And when I advocated for several things when I first got on the council in 2017 in, in January for our goals was to be more proactive in economic development because we can't sit there and wait for stuff to happen. If we see opportunities or a property that could be better for the city, we should knock on the door and try and bring people together with the owner. If they wanna sit there for 20 years, fine but at least let's make things happen. The outside world for Lake Oswego, the county, the state, Business Oregon, and uh, GPI, Greater Portland Inc. are out there promoting the region, including Lake Oswego, and we haven't been in the game until recently. So now we need to do that even more. And we need to strengthen our chamber relationship. I also mentioned we need to up our game of sustainability. Steve hit some of that earlier, but it's all what is practical at the municipal level. We're not going to solve exactly, the world. Exactly, exactly. What can we do? Can we buy an electric vehicle at a good price that will help the cause? Yes. And we've done a lot of this and we could be more sustainable, but we just adopted our new uh, sustainability and climate action plan. 
that when we implement that, obviously, depending on staffing and money, we will continue to be a very sustainable city. We don't need a big outside push to make things uh, happen that aren't going to happen at a municipal level. That doesn't make sense. And then the other thing, which we'll talk about a little bit later, was the being proactive on some middle missing middle housing in the city. And when you're ready to talk about that, we can talk. Yeah, about let's that. dive into that because that's a that's a topic that I think is very relevant to this you know group here that we're streaming through, and then obviously everybody listening. But that's been my biggest challenge as a builder and a developer here in Lake Oswego is how do we create that? Because it's not that I don't want to, you know, I, it's not that there isn't a strong demand for it, but it is challenging. And I don't think a lot of people recognize the challenges in creating that type of housing. So let's dive into it. What, what are some of the solutions or, or ideas that you're kind of running on that as mayor, you know, you would like to see implemented over time to try and help this? Well, as one of my professors once said, you have to make the numbers work and you, you and the business have to make the numbers work. So uh, we're uh, a higher price valued land in a very desirable community. So most of the time, there's not a good way to make it affordable. And so we just have to look at opportunities to do that. And I think I mentioned last December when I was on the show about a project we did in Chicago. It was a former, it was an abandoned hospital site. The city bought it from the hospital group for a dollar. They had to take the asbestos out of the buildings, tear the buildings down. They put a tax increment finance district in. They did tax base sharing. I mean, uh, uh, tax credits, and then uh, Catholic Charities and the, uh, the Association of Christian Housing came in and built three buildings that were affordable, okay? And when you drive by or you walk through the buildings, you didn't know they were affordable housing. They looked just like anything anybody would build that was a good building. And Catholic Charities and the other group use what we call the layer cake. They got the tax credits, they got stuff that they got help from the city, and they made it affordable. The third building was condos, and they put a restriction on the deed that you can buy it at this price. If you sell it, it's gonna be only a 10% increase in value, and the next person can then have an affordable unit. But all kinds of different things went in to make the layer cake work. And at the end, it was a great project, and it won a national award from AARP and from the National Home Builders Association, because everybody was working to make it work. So in Lake Oswego, since we started this, this term of, of, of council, we've opened everybody's mind and we've passed some reforms. One was the accessory dwelling units. You could do one, but the restrictions and the costs were so high that people weren't doing it. And one of the builders called me and said, uh, I have a son that has some mental health issues and we need to put an accessory dwelling unit. He's gonna be there forever in, the, in that with his ex-wife. And it's $25,000 to put an accessory dwelling unit in. We got rid of that. No more system development charges. You also had to put in a separate drive aisle or parking space for that accessory dwelling unit, even though you had two car parking on your driveway. We got rid of that. Uh, we kept the 800 square feet in the backyard so that you can go up to 800 with a new unit outside. But inside, we found that the 800 was a barrier to people morphing their house to add an accessory dwelling unit. Uh, uh, a couple I know. His father passed away. He was going to split the house with his mother so she could live in one side and, and those two in the other. They hit 800 and then there was a big chunk of vacant house left. So we changed that to 1,000 square feet. So you can go up to 1,000 to do the accessory dwelling. So that's one small step because the ADUs aren't going to solve the problem, but it will help get caregivers and family and others that want to live on site. The next thing is, is we reduced to nothing the SDC charges if you are in the affordable range of 80% of the area median income. So if somebody says I can develop and charge these prices, the SDC charges on the site will be reduced. That's awesome. 
We also plugged into the state tax deferral program where you start low and slowly build back up to full taxes. And then we reached out to the county and the county has community development block grant funds that they can uh, uh, put towards a, a housing project. There's a couple of restrictions dealing with sewer and water. So there's some tools there, but what we haven't done yet is we haven't built one and gotten one going. And so we own a site on Boone's Ferry Road that's the staging area for the Boone's Ferry Road reconstruction. When that's done, we're rezoning it now so full housing can be there. Right now it's restricted to mixed use, a resident, a retail with residential. And somebody could come and propose on that site, we would have our tools, and then there's other tools out there, including the federal tax credits, that we can look to make it work. The other site is Foothills. Foothills has a plan from eight years ago, 12, 10 years ago. I want to get that back out off the shelf, get the community together, get that refined and get that going because we're going to get a new sewer plant, I hope, pretty soon. We're, we're on the track to look at a new sewer plant down there, which could shrink the footprint of the sewer plant and add more land for development. Well, being right next to downtown, down near Oswego Point, all those apartments that are very middle priced and affordable, we could have a great mixed housing project that could support downtown and the whole city with a whole range of, 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 of things, condos, townhouses, and, and apartments that would help keep downtown dynamic. And then the third site is Merrillhurst. Uh, the Mary's Woods, the sisters have come in and asked us to rezone that. We are doing that right now. And the whole Merrillhurst campus, if it was done right with a really great master plan, could be just a national model on how to mix up housing, preserve the old buildings for offices and housing, and then add new mixed product, rental and, 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 and for sale, and it could be fantastic. They're targeted towards their 400 plus uh, employees, but others in the community would be able to, to live there. So it's now in the next term, if I'm here, is let's get a project going and work with the builders in the building community. Mary's Woods currently takes how much of the Merrillhurst universe, old, the old Merrillhurst University? Well, they, they're not in there per se. It's, they're separated in their Mar Mary's Woods campus with the new development in front up to uh, uh, 43. Okay. But the whole Merrillhurst campus, since the, the uh, school closed, that whole thing is available. It's, oh, okay, okay. For some reason, I thought Mary's Woods had gone in and taken over some of it. So, no. so the, well, the entire Merrillhurst is there available for some kind of yeah. And the sisters of Mary Wood, of Mary's Woods, the ones that own the whole thing, they are in charge of Merrillhurst. Got it. Okay. So they're working on a plan on how to get this housing in there. And I hope it's done well. I saw a couple of early, quick, you know, proposals that some folks made. They weren't that great, but there's uh, enough land. There's enough green space. There's enough older buildings. It could be really fantastic with a good plan. Absolutely. What a great I, idea. I love how much thought you put into this, John, because it's, I feel like that's really important. I feel like that's, missing a lot of times uh, because as you your layer cake analogy anytime you get into development especially like this there are so many layers that to be a a good leader you have to come into it with a, some form of a base understanding of these things because it's going to take you four years to figure out what the hell you're looking at if you don't know anything about it so i think people really need to understand that you know, you can't just step into being the leader of a city and deal with these very dynamic development projects starting from zero in terms of development knowledge. So Tucker, you, you might remember about a year and a half ago, there was an article about two builders, small company in Portland, and they were saying they could do more affordable if they didn't have to spend the three to five years of the front end to get sites, get permitting, get assistance, get financing. 
they were saying, if you just get us the sites, we'll go to work and we'll make the building work. It'll be more energy efficient, et cetera. So I think more globally, that's something we can work on is how to get the builders launched into what they do best in building the house or the apartment or the condo. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, let the builders build and, and be the conduit that, that makes that happen, right? Um, so one of the other topics that we'll segue here a little bit is- Can uh, I talk real ahead. quick, yeah. since we're on housing, I want one of the one of the other candidates, um, I have an email from this person to that Tucker forwarded me today. And it says, it talks about um, her agendas it is long overdue that we are grateful. The, the bigger the tree, the more significant it is to provide stormwater management to cool our local temperature to capture more carbon. We talked about this with Ezra and some of this is lip service, okay? I mean, the, the idea that it, one tree here in Lake Oswego is protecting the, the universe, uh, you know, or the earth in of itself is, is a little bit misleading. But she goes beyond that and, and just... She, she goes so far as to say, um, I mean, she said in here, this is a hill I stand on and will fight for. She says some of her- Actually, Steve, she said, I will be the Lorax. I can assure you this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Yes, that was her exact thank quote. you. Yes. It was scary sounding. It was scary that, sounding. Yes. Like I'm trying, to envision, I'm trying to envision one of these projects with a, you know, a tree yay big around that, she, that she's ready to- die for um to quote her um she said also um her first objectives the climate uh no it's down here as mayor in addition to requesting that the council immediately declare a climate emergency i will move to amend our climate action plan to be more people-centric be aggressive in protecting our big trees and equitable solutions as opposed to relying on uh, revenue depleting developer incentives. So no plan to work with the developers. We understand trees. I mean, John's not here saying, hey, let's go get the trees. That's not what he's saying. He's, it's, a, it's a balanced approach that if you want more housing, we all do. You, it's gonna, you know, there's, there's, there's a give and take. This part was weird, guys. I have to read this to you because I minimize wood burning for heating. Has, I... That I mean, it says that. So, are we all gonna have to start buying carbon taxes for our wood stoves? Are we our are, are future houses not going to be allowed to have fireplaces? I don't know what that means. Um, and so, those are a couple of the objectives. Of that. That this, these are people, and 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 Tucker, I'm going to quote you what you told me: a very prominent, um, well-known developer who we've had on the show, who builds a lot of houses in Lake Oswego that a lot of us realtors sell, okay? I'll even say the name, Renaissance Homes, has said, I don't know if I could be in Lake Oswego. If she gets, becomes mayor, I might let a bunch of projects go and go start developing somewhere else, you know, a different suburb. That's how scary some of this rhetoric is coming out of the other camps. I think it's important to know when we talk well, about this subject. A couple of things. One is that there is a disconnect from the tree code to the development code that we have right now. And it's very solvable once we get into a new administration. Um, right now, if you're a resident and you come in to get a tree taken out or removed, you go through a lot of hoops. I've had one neighbor who went through four different meetings at City Hall, another one that was told, no, you can only take this, but not that, even though they needed the other one for a landscape plan. It's, it's not as clear cut as it should be, but right now we're not talking about reforming the tree code. 
But if you have your house and you're having trouble getting a, a tree removed, but next door the builder can literally clear cut the whole thing. That is what is getting the tree advocates and our tree committee really riled up. And the tree committee is growing by the day. And so what we're finding is some of the trees should not be taken out. And builders will hardline their plan and then you know a month or two later, here comes, let's talk about the trees. And they have to play catch up and they get stalled. And then the advocates, tree advocates in the committee are trying to play catch up and they are not getting uh, anywhere. So it's a lose-lose right now. It's not a win-win. And so uh, I talked to Randy Sebastian of Renaissance about working with me and I talked to Tucker and other builders in the HBA. Let's get together around the table in January with staff, with the tree committee, with all folks in the room that need to be and get this resolved. We can tweak the development code to get more tools to do this and we can make some incentives so that we're not dragging out the development building process and wasting DRC time and the city council time and staff time and the tree advocate time and the builder time. All we need is to get the planning department to focus on this one thing and the development review commission right before COVID hit called it out in a paper saying we need to stop it because every DRC meeting they get caught in the middle of the tree issue and it's not working. So on one project in the Forest Highlands area, uh, all trees are gonna be taken out. Staff said, we're just going to move the house within the footprint, we can't deal with it outside. It was painfully obvious if they moved the house three feet beyond the setback and asked for variance, everything would have been fine. But no, we couldn't do that, staff didn't do it. The developers said, hey, variances take a long time. Well, going through the DRC and then being appealed and going through the council takes more time. So we made a motion, approve the project, but save tree 13, 14, 15, and 16. And that was the end rule. So when the trees started coming down, people were calling. I said to staff, are you making sure? And they go, oh yeah, they're being preserved. And I said, why didn't we do that in the beginning of the process instead of dragging this on almost a year? And then somebody in the hallway after the meeting said to me, well, John, why didn't you save seven, eight, and nine? I said, it's because it's in the middle of the footprint. You can't build a new house or a house with the trees in the middle of the footprint. That doesn't work. You got to be more middle road on this. You got to be more uh, working towards pragmatic solutions. So we can get around the table. We can get this tree co uh, development code done quickly. And here's another example. On Boone's Ferry Road, when a new commercial building comes in, you have to build up to the build two line to make it more Main Street feel as you come up and down the street. A lot of our new businesses and, and buildings have done that to make it more intimate and walkable and, and, and appealing. Well, staff came back and said, hey, here's, here's a new variance or exception. If there's a grove of trees that should be uh, saved in the front of this uh, site, you don't have to go to the build two line. You can get a variance and pull back. Simple, great. They then said, if you save a 30 plus dug fir, you can cut your landscape plan down by 30%. So what do we want? A 30 inch dug fir or a little whip from Home Depot that just sits there. So those were great incentives and, and tools, but we can't use them on the residential. And we called staff out on it and they, oh yeah, well it's for the commercial developers, not for the residential. So we will, we will get at this. It's not save every tree because they can't be when you're building, but save the good trees that can be saved. That's the key. And get the builders that move along. Yeah, and let me explain this for people just so they can really get a understanding of what we go through because this is a very challenging issue. It's very emotionally charged on both sides. As you can tell from the, the email that Steve read and the quote that I gave, there, there's proponents on both sides that are, you know, almost um, similar to our political situation. Just, you know, like rabid dogs trying to get at each other. And neither side wins, as John said, when that's the case. But what we deal with as a builder is we go in 
and we want to build a home. And when you build that new home, there's a footprint for that home that it, it basically takes up. And if there's a tree that sits in the middle of that footprint, there's not much that you can do about it. And, and the people that are very pro tree have to realize they live in a home that likely had a tree that sat in the middle of their footprint before it was built. And so there are certain trees that just through redevelopment cannot be saved. But there are trees that sit outside of the footprint. And depending on how you can shift the home on the lot, you might be able to save more of those trees. And so to streamline a process where, where maybe you are able to get a variance for the distance from the back of the property to the edge of that footprint easily, now you can shift that home easily, you can save more trees. So John's talking about streamlining a process that is otherwise very clunky. It takes a lot of time, a lot of meetings, tons of phone calls, tons of emails. And so time is money with developers. And so if you string out a project that should be five weeks in permits and you turn it into five months in permits over trees, you know, no, we don't want to go the route of getting a variance and dealing with all that because then inevitably, if we go try and get a variance, there will be builder haters out there that file a complaint or they, they want to take us to DRC if staff approves that variance. I mean, I've been in a situation, just so everybody knows, in first edition where we were granted a variance by staff. I was taken to DRC because the neighborhood, the head of the neighborhood association for first edition didn't like the fact that we got a two foot footprint variance off the back. So nothing that anybody saw, but they didn't like that. So they took me to DRC and I got overruled and the city kept $4,000 that I paid for that variance and retracted my variance. And I had to go back to the drawing board and I had to do a whole new set of plans as well um, for my townhome. So it's, it's a very uh, contentious process. And so if we can streamline it and we can make it more of just a, a straight line type agreements and ways to do things, it would clean this up tremendously. And it will, but also, you know, the way it impacts property owners now, right? So there's a lot of, of property that can be redeveloped in Lake Oswego, or not a lot, but there's a fair bit. And most of that property is owned by older people, right? And so that property, as, as property values have increased and areas have redeveloped around them, that property value becomes much more valuable over time. But if you are saying that you cannot cut trees easily or at all, what does that do to the property value, right? It's going to put you down. So ultimately, you get hurt on the other side, too. It's not just the builders trying to build a home. It's these older folks that have lived in Lake Oswego for a very long amount of time where their retirement is tied to the property they own. It affects them as well. So I think that's important to see. And, and you look at the details and you go, okay, the one extremist, as Steve was talking about the extremes, is save all the trees on the lot. Well, then maybe that person that says that should buy it as a park because you can't build that. If you go to the middle ground, say, yeah, we want you to build, we'll maybe flip the footprint, move the driveway over, shift it back three feet, move over a little bit and save a couple of good trees, then why not? So I think if we're all talking together in the front end of the process, what can we do to make this work right for the city's trees and for the builder? And then streamline it so that there's variances and tools and exceptions and incentives. Then I think we've got it solved and people can start to say, hey, we're doing the right thing with these trees and we're doing the right thing by getting our buildings going, our, our homes going. So I, I, I can see we're so close. <laughs> we just got to get the leadership around the table. Yeah. And, and time is money. You were talking about how, how long it takes to get through that process, Tucker, and how your holding costs, they're, they're negatively impacting affordability. That's what we were just talking about. So the two components can, are currently contradicting each other, right? You want housing affordability, right. which means more housing, which means less time for the developers to get that housing created. So this is, you, you can't then also at the same time have 
no trees being cut or a really clunky process that takes them so long that by the time the house is done, there's an extra $30,000, $50,000 in carrying costs because it took them a year to do what otherwise could have taken five, six months. So here's, here's a quick example. Last Tuesday, three days ago, we just voted six to one not to approve a project that had been shut down by the DRC. The DRC Development Review Commission voted six to nothing against this project because they didn't feel there was enough discussion of other ideas, variety of options and making the trees work. And it was very straightforward. There wasn't some tree in the middle. And we looked at it and we said, okay, this craziness keeps going on. It did not look like the builder's architect or land planner or landscape architect had worked the site enough. And we could have shifted a little bit to the left, a little bit to the north and or flipped the garage. But it was not strong. Uh, it was not a strong statement that they had done that. So we voted six to one to say no. We're done. If you want to go back to the drawing board, great. And I look at these things and they happen after the original submittal. So how do you say, okay, we've got a detailed site plan that gets submitted for, for plan approval and permits. And then later say, oh, let's start talking about the trees. Let's do it together and get it done and get the trace paper out and move things around and get it done. And also to open the mind of the staff. So here, here's some uh, discrepancies on the approach. A couple of years ago, the three properties behind, uh, uh, Duke's Public House Bar and Restaurant. Developer wanted to build three homes. He wanted 23 exceptions and variances, and staff signed off on it. Said, yeah, okay. Well, then he got the DRC, and DRC said, no, that's not what the exceptions variance is for. A foot here, a foot there, there's an electrical box in the way, a rock or something, but not 23. Well, then it comes to some of the builders trying to maneuver the site and maybe move the site. They don't even encourage or try and get a variance going. So we got to get everybody to the middle ground to get mm -hmm. this done right. And we will Absolutely. save some good trees and we will get some good buildings going uh, a lot better. We just, I think we, I think we need just a little bit of a logic in some of these ordinances because they're, they're so antiquated and I don't know if it's to charge more fees, you know, for the city or if it's because they don't want like us, we to turn into the next Sherwood, but you know, everything moves forward. If, a builder or developer spends all this time fighting to get to remove this tree so they can do what they do that's going to be a higher price property and that's going to transfer to all of the buyers and it's because these were set and it and it seems to be so antiquated and they seem to be like unmoving on anything that we're not making forward progress and it would help the city of Lake Oswego, if people could just not have a blanket, no, you can't do anything and it's gonna be super expensive. If they're a little bit more flexible, hey, they wanna cut down this tree to build a home or maybe increase a view, but they're gonna plant another tree somewhere else. Um, it just, uh, it seems to be restricting forward progress of the city of Lake Oswego in the planning and development in the in the tree ordinances and we'd really like to see that be a little more flexible i guess and at least someone to look at it in a logical fashion like okay here's what you want to do that makes sense right instead of just no you gotta you gotta beat them up for five months just to maybe get your way and a lot of the tree committee folks are very good people that are very passionate about the trees, but also understand the process of building up our community, a new home or new store. And they have said repeatedly, they're, they're, they're not against development. They're not pushing little tiny footprints on us. 
but they feel that the process is, is skewed away from doing the right thing and we don't have the tools to save some good trees. But as I talk with Randy and, uh, and Tucker and others, if we get everybody going in the front end and let's save what we can and be smart about it, but have the tools to do it right, then I think we can make uh, most people happy. The, the people that are gonna save every tree, that just doesn't work, um, but we can get it done. It's time, it's time to get the building community together with, with these tree folks in the community, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And in, in kind of closing on this, by not having this and having these two camps, you end up with a lot of playing favorites. You end up with a lot of corruption on the neighborhood association front. And, and I don't want to name names of people, but one of the other candidates is tied to one of the neighborhood associations. And, and I've looked this up, Steve, because I've been so pissed off about this because we'll need to cut one tree for a very valid reason, mm -hmm. right? And we'll get all kinds of opposition for it because we're a builder. And part of this is because of this process is not streamlined and it's not clearly defined, right? And so this tree, whatever it is, whichever one we've needed to cut, that has a very valid reason why we're needing to cut it. In the 11th hour, we always inevitably get a bunch of letters of opposition. And I mean a bunch. And, and most of the time, those letters of opposition are not from people next to the property, which means that there's self-dealing and people within the neighborhood association are calling favors. And they're, they're always the other heads of other neighborhood associations. So they're all tied together, right? And they gang up on builders because this process is so clanky. But at the same time, a lot of these people that are on the boards that, or, or um, you know, if they have a tree that wants to be cut or a variance that they want, I've looked up these files because I'm always curious, is there any letters of opposition when they request a tree to be cut? And never. So th this process is very broken. It, it enables things like this to happen that are, you know, self-dealing and just the corruption really in terms of the tree cutting when it doesn't need to be there. It really doesn't. And so, but that's another big reason why this needs to be fixed because it just creates so much animosity. I mean, you can hear it. I'm, I'm irritated because of these mm -hmm. things that I constantly see when I look up the tree cutting files, but it doesn't need to be there and we can fix this. And I, and I really hope John wins for the sake, purely for the sake that we fix this problem because it's a big problem in Lake Oswego when it comes to development. And bring people together, consensus building, which I do for a living and get all the facts and figures out and establish relationships and explore new and creative ways instead of the antagonism as Tucker and Steve and, and Joe have been saying, fighting on one extreme or the other. Uh, and they're all good people. We just got to make sure we do the right thing. So there's one other thing you hit on, and if I could, as far as cost, and that is the uh, SDC charges, which every community has. And their development impact fees, their impact fees, their development system charges, whatever you want to call them. And to me, they got to be balanced because if we keep increasing them, our affordability gets worse and worse. And also, for example, a lot of people don't realize our commercial folks that wanted to renovate a restaurant, expand, move to a new site, they start to get these heavy fees and say, I can't make a move, I can't develop. So for example, two or three years ago, we were supposed to be up, updating and refreshing the transportation system development charge of all the other charges, you know, sewer, water, stormwater, uh, transportation. Staff found a formula which was affiliated with the Institute of Traffic Engineers and the Urban Land Institute, which are very good professional associations that would be you know, sustainable as, as, as a formula. But then what they did is we had the overall approach, yeah, let's get it into the 21st century. But later, as we were getting close to the vote, they listed all the different businesses and how much they would have to pay. And I got a call from a restaurateur and she said, I can't do my new restaurant if these go in effect, she said, I'm gonna probably pay about $32,000 for the transportation component of all the other SDCs. 
if the new formula goes in, I'll be paying 120,000 just for transportation because it was all affiliated with how much traffic and whatever, but it wasn't calibrated to a downtown where you walk to a lot of things. So we, I pushed and we approved the new formula to make sure we're okay with you know, the courts in the process, but I capped, capped, I pushed for a cap, which we approved of 30% so that that person and others wouldn't be having to pay $120,000 in addition to all that other stuff. Because otherwise we have no economic development, no expansion, people won't come here. And there was a woman that owned a coffee shop that was looking for a site and she was in another community and they were like $400,000 in SDCs. And she said, I can't do that for a little coffee shop. So we gotta be sensible and balanced, that's the key. And I wanna point out to our listeners, because if, if, if it seems like, oh, you know, John's, he's on the developer side, he's only on the builder side. No, John was a proponent of the $15,000 teardown tax that, that Tucker doesn't like, but John came on our show last time and he explained it. And whilst Tucker's probably still not gonna like it, as an independent listener who it doesn't impact, I got it. He basically said, and you can say it better than me, hey, you're saving money, you're, you're getting a new house and you're saving some of the costs you would have otherwise to build a house on permits. So this is, this is where we make that up because that same house, same new house is gonna pull to the same parks, it's gonna have the same services and we had to make that up somewhere, right? Did I say that close to how? Yeah, and the fact that <laughs> our older infrastructure, our older parks, we can't use the SEC charges directly because you have to do it for new capacity. So if we added land or put a new street in, we could use SDCs. For a regular park maintenance, we can't. And so that was to help replenish a regular maintenance fund for all the big parks and open spaces we have. So you're right. And it's, it's really about the balance. It's the middle road. And, and, and another one for me, and if you want to talk about it, is HB 2001. Uh, we opposed it seven to nothing. I opposed it for two reasons. One is it took home rule control over our own zoning away from us and brought it to the state legislature. And two, because I've been in the preservation of neighborhoods throughout my whole career, older neighborhoods, new neighborhoods, wealthy neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods. Help our listeners, John, explain yeah. which one. That's the yeah. one where you could do um, duplexes yeah. anywhere, is, is yeah. that right? So in, in the legislation, which was done by the state, they said we have to allow duplexes, triplexes and quadplexes on single family lots in all single family neighborhoods. Then part of it was Oh, we may only do an area. So can you imagine trying to pit one neighborhood to the, uh, against the other to say, you're gonna do this extra density and you're not? And it's really not an affordable housing uh, uh, process because even the legislature came back and said no, because they knew the prices would be high once you put all these in. But they said it was a density thing. So why weren't they more paying attention to our commercial corridors that are overgrown with retail that could have brought in some new housing that could be right along bus lines and walk to work and walk to services and shops but no, they want to change the character of the neighborhoods that we've been preserving throughout my whole career. And in Lake Oswego, we put our, uh, you know, our mouths where the money or whatever you call it, we walk the walk. We downzone Forest Highlands because we, they wanted the character of the larger lots. We downzone Uplands and we got control of the flag lots. So that made sense. So now the state comes along and says, oh, go ahead and jam all this stuff in. So it got approved. Our staff is now monitoring what's going on with the Department of uh, Conservation and Land, Land Conservation Development to see how bad these restrictions are going to be. And I'm hoping they're going to keep our bulk standards so we can do it right. And if you think about somebody putting a fourplex on a single family lot with maybe four to eight cars, when you add it all up with spouses or kids, or maybe even 12 cars, and that's going to be on a single family lot with a little piece of street, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. to me, you look at what we're talking about on Boone's Ferry or you go to US 99 or McLaughlin, there is a ton of potential redevelopment land that could have housing on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got to watch that one in 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and real quick, um, well, one of the other big topics, do you have anything else you want to talk about here, Steve? Or there's other big well, topics. Well, we, we Stafford bring. area, there was something you were going to say about the Stafford area, John. Okay. So I've been demonized by a former city councilor and a current candidate, all, all both current candidates, about how I am all for developing all of Stafford at you know $2.6 billion worth of infrastructure that the city would have to pay for. All wrong. Totally wrong. I am proponent, day one, of getting a good plan for that area that we need desperately. I am amazed when I moved here, the metro approach to this stuff, you know, the urban growth boundary has got a lot of benefits and we've saved farmlands and vineyards and whatnot, but we don't watch what we're doing when the development just hits the line and we're jamming stuff in and not having the plan for that neighborhood. But more importantly, when there is areas for development or art, art areas, uh, metro has this giant staff of planners. Why are they not helping the cities come forward with a plan? No, for 20 years, we've been in courts, fighting lawsuits back and forth and kicking the can down the road. It is time for a comprehensive master plan of that Stafford area, 4,000 acres, to define all these things everybody's been talking about. We have traffic coming up Stafford right now that's really clogging the city and it's gonna get worse. There's 2,000 units coming in from Wilsonville's Frog Pond uh, development, which was very nicely planned at the northeast corner of Wilsonville but people don't know what's gonna happen when they come up Stafford to hit the interchange or come through Lake Oswego. The uh, ODOT folks are designing the uh, widening of 205 without any input of what could happen at Stafford's interchange. So I've been proponent of everybody around the table, all three cities, the county, the state, metro, and the community to get a sensible plan for the area and finally settle all the questions. But the demonizing is still going on and I gotta counter it wherever I can <laughs> and say, no, that's not what I'm pushing. Now I, as a, a planner, and I've been in the consulting world most of my career, I've worked on 8,000 acre areas. And when people get around the table and work things out and see different scenarios, then the right plan will evolve. The land and the community will tell us the direction. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just want to clarify what people are saying. Yeah, and I think it's crazy to not get around the table and figure this out because the, the problems are just going to get worse and, and ultimately it's going to get developed. So why not sit down and at least put a plan together? It, it just, there's no reason not to. It seems like if you want to push against that and not do that, in my opinion, it's just not, you're not a good leader because again, part of my description of what a good leader is, is you have to be able to meet and talk to people you don't agree with, right? And do it in a, a formidable way. So um, I, I think that that's a pretty straightforward point. And I, I would, I would argue with anybody that would demonize you over at least talking about what that plan could be, because that just seemed crazy to me. And when people talk to me about individual things like ag agri uh, agricultural preservation, uh, green gateways, green paths and trails, uh, I talked about keeping the rural scape down there so it's not jammed right up to it, uh, uh, affordable housing mix, uh, uh, conservation communities, cluster communities, they're all talking bits and pieces, but they're not looking at it holistically, which you would do if you brought in a team. And uh, I've seen the power of planning, of good planning in my career for many years, and it can be done, and it can be done with everybody at the table. But uh, saying that we have to spend $2.6 billion on infrastructure is totally wrong, and it's fear-mongering, and it's fear tactics, and it's, it should stop. Uh, Tualatin wants to come in and get a grant from Metro to finally get the planning going, and we, should, we Lake Oswego, should be at the table. I've made the, uh, the little quote that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. 
And we better start paying attention down there because it's going to come our way if we don't do it right. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, John. You were going to talk about um, defunding police. Is, is that something, not you, we're proponent of that, I'm, I'm assuming. Was that something that was on the uh, agenda for some of the other mayoral candidates? Is that Well, it's more I... for some folks that are out there. You know, there's a lot of pain going around the country with what happened to George Floyd and the, and the, and the bad things that have happened since. You think that would be the last one that keeps going on. And I think a lot of people in our community, whether they're on the right side of the equation, middle or left, have been feeling that pain. But then they're all starting to say, when I'm talking, we got to get back to what's right for Lake Oswego. And they're worried about people saying defund the police. It's settled down a little bit, but I'm not for defunding the police. Uh, safety is job one of building a city or having a healthy city. Absolutely. So our police department is working hard every day. I've worked with county sheriffs, suburban police and urban cops as a planner working in communities. And we have one of the most advanced police departments in the country. Now, can we do better? Sure. If there's a person that's a problem, if there's a protocol or an approach or a policy, we'll, we'll look at it. But they work hard. They go home every night just like we do. They have families just like we do. And if there's issues that we have to address, we will. And that's why I fought so hard to make sure that we, the council, are working on the policing approach directly, not some little task force or other group. It's us working on policing because that's what people are asking for. And people want to make sure that we're safe and we're watching the community and, and we keep the good police going. And it is a very safe community. I, I sold a house on Lorna Lane um, over in uh, on, on the south part of Lake Oswego. And it was interesting, my inspector, who doesn't live in Lake Oswego, but and he's a very chatty guy. And he, he, the buyers were new to Lake Oswego. And I, and I, I, I actually heard something he said that was so interesting and it resonated well. He goes, he goes, you know, one thing that's great about Lake Oswego, doesn't matter what, you know, what happens if, you know, it could be your cats in a tree, whatever. If you call the police, they'll be there within a matter of minutes. Right. And I thought that, you know, how, how comforting is that to tell somebody that's, that's in our city? Right. And, um, and we've seen the opposite. We've heard stories. I mean, Portland, there was Oregonian um, had an article about, somebody who had gunshots into their house called the police and 17 hours later, someone showed up and said, Hey, we've been busy. My favorite thing is reading the Lake Oswego review, the police blotter to see all yeah. the, the crimes and stuff. And yeah. it is a very safe town, but there is, there are crimes that go on and it's so that the defunding the police, you know, if you witness something going on and you, and you call the, cops it's nice that they're there and respond quickly instead of the person on the other line saying oh there's a crime going on our thoughts and prayers are with you <laughs> it'll be yeah. uh, you know another 12 hours before anyone responds and people gravitate to uh, safe neighborhoods that have a great infrastructure and well laid out and I, I do think uh, those guys are the hardest working people in America and, you know, we got to keep them around. No, I'll tell you a quick story. Sorry, John, cut you up, but this, this really epitomizes why this is important. And so I was walking away from one of our projects not too long ago and I hear this guy screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm going to burn this MRF down. Right. And it was a, a house with kids and a, a woman and like, it just, Seemed very strange. So I had two options like, well, I can go over there and it might end up in a fist fight or something bad. And I don't want to get in the middle of whatever this is, but I don't want to walk away too. And just if this guy burns the house down or something happens to these kids and this woman, I'd feel terrible that I didn't do something. Right. So I called the police. I said, Hey, 
this guy's screaming that he's going to burn the house down. It sounds like a bad, you know, domestic deal. You know, somebody might want to go there and just kind of defuse this thing and see what's going on. And literally like two minutes later, they popped in there and they dealt with it and they calmed it down and all that. But, you know, that's one of those things where if it's in another part of town or it's in Portland, you know, that may have to work itself out and it may not work out well. Mm-hmm. And it's again, back to practical and pragmatic is, a city has to be safe before you even think about other things. I mean, schools and roads and paths and trails and everything and open spaces and parks are important, but if it's not safe, and I think I forget the big city, it might've been Minneapolis. They said, we're going to defund the police, but then they created a department of public safety of which will have armed uniformed police officers in it. So what are you doing? It's a shell game. Lip service, lip service. Lip service. There's so much lip service everywhere. So luckily it's settled down the last month or so, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting with our police department and our chief and captain and officers and saying, what can we do better? Here's an example. So when, when a professor at UCLA uh, uh, asked our chief, can you respond to eight can't wait, those eight policies that police departments should have, the chokehold issue and all that. Well, our chief did, and he did a beautiful job of explaining what it is that they're doing and why they don't do things. We don't allow the chokeholds. We're ahead of a lot of the uh, cities. So then I asked about the uh, mental health issue that police officers having to deal with mental health. They said they've got really intensive training in police academies now, plus the ongoing training in the departments and they, they wanna do more, so fine. Then I said the opposite is the uh, police officer having issues. They're a good officer, he or she's now on the job for a few years, they might have a drug or drinking problem or some issues. He said, no, we have the wellness program from the state, so it's mental, spiritual and body and physical health, we will be watching them all the time to make sure they're okay and they're, they're feeling healthy. And then the third thing I said is the bad penny, you know, the passing the bad penny to another police department, which happened from Lake Oswego to West Lynn and that whole police chief thing blew up 20 That's years right. late. Well, we don't do that. We do intensive background checks for new police officers. And if it's a lateral move where they come from another community, we interview their uh, peers and their superiors to make sure they're a good person and they're a good police officer. And then the fourth thing I asked about was cameras, because that's becoming more and more of a concern and people are researching it more. And we have cameras on the police cars that shoot out 35 feet, but if the police officer goes to the door in the park or in the back, they're not on, they're, they don't catch that. And our chief said, hey, we're looking for it. We're, our, our officers are asking for it. Well, we've got some new experimental cameras that are being looked at, and if we need to do it, we'll work on it. It's just a matter of what are the practical things we need to do to be better, but let's not demonize our police. I think those cameras are no-brainers. I think they're as, they're as beneficial for the, for the good police officers, and, which right. is most, um, as, as they are for the public. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great move. Um, let's move on from there. Homeless, we were going to talk about that. Actually, I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're running short on time, so we're gonna we've got he's got to exit here in just a second, so and I've got to do the same. But um, maybe in I, I will say this: we've got maybe let's just itemize the the different candidates here and kind of where you fit in, John. I think everybody should know from this point of talking. But we basically have Teresa on one side. She's kind of in at least in my mind. I'm saying this as anybody else, but she seems like the the extremist on one side, she's the one that's willing to die on the hill for a tree, as uh, we kind of went back and forth, Steve. Um, you've got Joe Buck, who is probably, 
you know, I, I don't know exactly where he falls, but he seems to be doing a lot of pandering. There's a little bit of questioning going on in terms of his living situation and why his living situation is that way. I so did some seems, investigative jur- journalism on that, by the way. All right. I will give you the floor then. Um, to, to let us Well, know I read the article. The, the article is in um, the Lake Oswego Review. And um, he's, he's, he, and he put this out on Facebook too, as, as a Lake Oswego resident, I got, um, I got, I got this saying the Lake Oswego review exonerated me. And as they said, have said, I'm a resident. Not really reading this article. They're saying, you know, the city has cleared him as a resident, but there's a lot of questions around it. And the questions are, he's, he basically bought a house that's outside of city limits we are realtors. We have access to data. I looked up the residence. It is. Um, it it was sold by a Premier Property Group agent. I called her. Oh. She told me that he was moving in with his girlfriend. Um, she had text messages and emails that were that were stating, you know, such that there was plans to move in. Some. I'm not saying he moved in because I think quickly the the brakes were put on that. And he decided to move in with parents is, is what's being said. Um, and that's in the article as well, because his parents do live in, within city limits. And to run for mayor, you have to live within city limits. Um, it's, it just reeks of high, high heaven to me that there's just, there's, just, there's just an ick factor to this, that I'm buying this house. I'm now saying I never intended to live in it. I'm living with my parents. You made a good point off the air, Tucker. Uh, do we want a mayor of 40,000 people that lives with their parents? Um, but but where, where it gets even ickier to me is he wants to annex that house into the city. So buys it before he's mayor, doesn't live there, becomes mayor, and then, and then, and then facilitates some kind of shady operation where he's in charge and can annex that into the city. It just... It, it reminds me of some some stuff we've seen out of Washington D.C. that just makes your skin crawl. So, I uh, that's what I know. But I'll let, I'll turn it back to you, Tucker. I mean, maybe you know a little bit more. But I thought it was interesting that the that the house was sold by one of our agents, and she knew firsthand that that his intention was to live in that. I mean, it's a very simple. Um, even with the the text messages and the messages, even if you deleted those out of there. All you got to do is look at his loan application, right? Did he check, I intend to live in it? Did he finance it as an owner-occupied residence? If he didn't, it would be loan fraud. So, you know, either you're committing loan fraud or you're maybe fudging the truth on the other side. So that's would seem like a real simple way to solve that one. But I, I also, to your point, it does feel icky. Um, I don't want a guy that's 40 years old plus that lives with his parents running the city. I mean, that seems like the last person <laughs> that I'd want to have run it. And not just for that reason, but I mean, I'm 40. I would never move back in with my parents um, if I had a, a situation where I needed to find some temporary housing. So to me, I mean, that just seems like a bit of a BS excuse um, and a little bit, of, as we said here, lip service. Um, I will say this. I have had this is kind of self-dealing, right? That's basically what this is. It's, it's using people and, and leveraging them to kind of get what you want. I have seen this happen a lot with longtime Lake Oswego people. And, and this happens with, you know, the, the neighborhood board that I talked about and how they use their power to cut trees and get variances. I mean, one of the people on the board that his dad is on, by the way, they cut 27 trees and got four variances without one single letter of opposition. 
So if we as a builder, John, tried to cut 27 trees and get four variances, there's not a shot in hell that we would get that through without going through DRC and ultimately council. And there's probably not a shot in hell we'd even get approved for that at, at those levels unless we had some very compelling reasons um, to do that stuff. So I guess that just kind of goes to your point, Steve. There's definitely some self-dealing going on here. There's some icky factor. I see the icky factor when I see the, uh, you know, the letters of opposition for 27 trees and four variances. This is something that the public can see, and, and of course they can make their own decision. But I'm in your camp. I, I really think that this is just you're. We're being told what we he wants us to hear, and if we don't at least look at it objectively, it's like, should we be voting? You know. So. And the most important part is if 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 you were to listen. I mean, we we have John here. And everything he says is common sense. It's middle of the road. It's reasonable. If nothing else, take the ick factor out. You don't find this very often. And especially in this day and age and in this, you know, in our, in the state of Oregon. So John, you are a leader in our state that I'm proud to, to, to see in our community um, at, at this level. And not only that, I would love to see other mayors throughout our state learn from you and and emulate that approach of bring everyone together on both sides and and not be extremist because that that's what's dividing this entire country that and you know causing problems for the state and this and this state i think we can honestly say is being affected more so than probably anywhere else in the country i was just at a weekend retreat with um you know, one of my partners at my firm who, who has moved to Arizona, he says, I don't even tell people I'm from Portland anymore. I, t I just tell them I'm from Oregon because they're, it, it was just so, they're like, oh, what the heck is going on over there? So we can fix this over time. It's not going to happen immediately, but it's, and it's going to be through people like John as you know, our what, leaders. What I really, what I really appreciate, uh, sort of the professionalism I'm seeing, I wasn't privy to go to uh, lunch with you like Tucker and Steve, but uh, the last, you know, through this podcast, you've been very vocal and, and expressing kind of what your beliefs are and, and how you like to work. A thread of logic has been, uh, you know, the sort of the main mantra of we can solve this thing logically. And the last five minutes, you know, Tucker and Steve talked a little bit about your, your running mates and you got very quiet. I don't think you said a word for five minutes. And I, uh, I love that about you. I think that's fabulous. And it, I think it speaks volumes for, I'm not here to rag on the people I'm running against. I'm here to make like us, we go better and let's do this together and logically. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. Trying to take the high road, even I'm getting shots off the low road. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this uh, in kind of closing here as we wrap up, you know, Obviously, Don and I don't agree on everything, but I think that goes to show that you can still not agree on everything and still work together and get along, right? And I think that's a mantra that we all need to hear in 2020 uh, and beyond. So um, I think it was a great show today, John. I think people got a real good sense of, of who you are and what you stand for, and what kind of mayor you'll be. And really just about, we got to have people that are make sense, right? You know, you, you balance both sides, but you know, you got to have make sense leadership right now. And we need it desperately um, here in this region. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you gentlemen for having me on. I appreciate the open dialogue at all times. That's the best way to do it. Oh, oh, real quick, John, John, John. Okay. Listeners, please 
whether you live in Lake Oswego or not, share this. You have lots to share this. This We're going to also put it out as a podcast. So this is a video and you can share this on Facebook. You can also share the podcast that we'll put out. What else can we do to help you, John? We need you. Okay. I know we can get signs. By the way, I was on Lakeview Boulevard visiting a dear friend on um, two, two nights ago and there was John Lamont signs everywhere. Where can we get a sign? Well, you could uh, get into our, our website, our campaign website, John Lamont for lomayor.com. Or okay. you can call me. My, my number's on the website or on my company website. But if people want to call and ask for a sign or say hi or talk further, it's 971-263-8272. 971-263-8272. And uh, I talk to everybody and anybody anywhere. So. And you, you had some other um, takeaways in the, the handout that you said, things we can do to help you. Do you just well, want to hit those real quick? The, the, the number one thing right now is the networking because we can't go door to door with COVID. So I've been meeting people in backyards and small groups and talking on the phone or, or getting some messages out. So we'll have mailers and advertising. But if you could tell your network, five people, 10 people, 15 people about the campaign and me, uh, there's a lot of material on the website. I could send people stuff to, to, to you know, send out to their network. That's, that's really key right now, hitting the networks. And uh, you all have great networks, and I appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Well, well, thank you, John. We appreciate it as well, that your, your time you. and coming on here and, and your agenda. So thank you. Yeah. Refreshing. Great show. Um, great perspective. And uh, we wish you the best of luck in the uh, upcoming election, and we'll help you out any way we can. Great. appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Talk right. to you later. Thanks, Thank everybody, you. for watching, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.